0: Hey there, Pastor Mark here. It's our prayer that this message would encourage and equip you in your relationship with Jesus. We're able to provide this content due to the joyful generosity of our financial partners. And if you'd be willing to join that tribe and help get some sermons like this around the world, you can donate at harvestbaptist.info slash give. God bless. try to examine uh, for one final time this piece of scripture, Colossians chapter number two. I invite you to turn there, uh, turn there with me And we want to round out this series on spiritual counterfeits, looking at mysticism and legalism and asceticism and how they can go wrong, but then the proper balance we should have in our life. And today we're going to examine the topic of asceticism. And I want to read or reread even Colossians 2, just a couple verses here about it. And then we'll uh, try to understand it more. So verse number 20 of Colossians 2. Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? Like, what kind of ordinances? What kind of commands? What kind of dogmas? Well, touch not, don't touch that. Taste not, don't taste that. Don't eat that. Don't drink that. Handle not, which all are to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men. Which things indeed have a show of wisdom and will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. I would love to re-preach the sermon that uh, I've already preached on this. But if you're wondering kind of more concrete information on these verses and you want to kind of break it down phrase by phrase, word by word even, we've done that in previous sermons. You can go back uh, onto our YouTube page or even onto our podcast. You can find all the sermons there and you can get uh, more in the weeds on these verses. But the... The theme of this, or the 30,000 foot view, is that Paul is talking about asceticism. Asceticism is not something that we talk about often or a word we would use often, but it's simply this. It's self-denial as a means of attaining a higher spiritual plane. It is self-denial gone wrong. Some have called this spirituality by subtraction. And you can see that in the text. This idea of no, you can't touch. No, you can't taste. A no, you can't handle. Even in verse number 23, this idea of neglecting the body. It is this idea of asceticism. If you were spiritual, you would take a vow of poverty. If you were spiritual, you wouldn't have a house that big. You wouldn't drive a car that nice. We know that you would use your money in, in spiritual ways. Uh, you wouldn't have so much fun if you were spiritual, you know? Don't you, don't you know that we're supposed to be sober-minded and serious-minded? You know, you should be a little more curmudgeon and then I think you would be pleasing to God, and you should subtract some of the fun out of your life. You wouldn't eat that. You wouldn't drink that. If you were spiritual, then you certainly wouldn't sleep any more than five hours a night, I mean, sheesh, how much sleep do you need? Redeeming the time. Come on. Like, uh, take those extra hours and spend them in prayer and Bible study, and you'll be a lot closer to Jesus. You don't need to, you don't need to sleep that much, right? If you were spiritual, you wouldn't, be, you wouldn't be friends with them. They're unsavory. They don't know Jesus. You, sh- you should stay away from them. If you were spiritual, you wouldn't take care of your body. I heard, I heard you and your girlfriends went and got a pedicure the other day. Don't you know that you shouldn't be pursuing comfort of your body? Like, Jesus is looking for soldiers. He's not looking for sissies. Come on, like, get with it. Like, it's that idea, right? It's self-denial gone wrong. But if you know your Bible, you know that a natural response to the idea of self-denial gone wrong would be like, well, yeah, but aren't we supposed to deny ourselves? Like, didn't Jesus teach us that if we were to follow him, then we were going to have to, quote, deny ourselves? and take up our cross? Like, isn't that part of the Christian life? Don't we, don't we read in Galatians that they that are Christ, they've crucified their flesh with their affections and their lusts? Isn't one of the fruits of the Spirit temperance? Like, one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control, this idea that you, that you wouldn't be out of control but would be able to limit yourself and be able to uh, stay away from certain things. Doesn't Paul teach in 1 Corinthians 9 that they that run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? Like a bunch of people are going to run in the Olympics this summer, but they only give out one gold medal for that 100-meter dash. One receives the prize, right? So run that you may obtain. Run to win verse 25 every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things so these people these olympians they are they're self-controlled they're very temperate in all areas of life with their schedule with their diet with their workout routine they are extremely controlled they do it to obtain a corruptible crown a, a piece of gold that will amount to nothing in a thousand years but we receive an incorruptible so they are temperate and controlled for a gold medal and we are investing in eternal things. Shouldn't we be temperate and controlled? And Paul says, verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. Like, I'm, I am not all over the map here. I, I am strategic. I am after something. I'm after a goal. And listen to this. I keep under my body. I bring it into subjection. I have control over my body. I exhibit self-denial. I will subject my body if I need to, unless that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, if you have any critical thinking ability whatsoever, you may be left with the question of, okay, which is it? Choose. Is it that, self-denial can go wrong and you shouldn't let all these people run around saying you can't touch and you can't do this and you can't do that and you do have freedom in Jesus that it can go wrong and self-denial is like bad or is it that self-denial is good and Paul is telling us that he does this and he lives a life that is temperate and and he denies himself often and we should do the same like pick one and there's a balance to this. You should live a life of self-denial But self-denial can go wrong. So how do we balance this? And I want to give you three principles. There probably could be more than three, but I think these three will suffice. If you understand these three principles, it will help you live a life that the Bible tells you. You do have to be temperate. You do have to mortify the flesh. And mortify is not like you are ashamed or aghast, but put it in the mortuary, kill it. You do have to have subjection of your body at times. But how do I do this in a balanced way? So principle number one, the delight principle. Self-denial goes wrong when you stop delighting in God's good gifts. You do want to live a life of self-denial, but it can become so overgrown or so cancerous, so myopic that you are just focused on self-denial, 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 that you forget that God has given good gifts that are meant for you to enjoy with gratitude. You can live a life of of. Say no to sleep, that you can forget that sleep is good for you, and rest, or a Sabbath even, is something that should be enjoyed. You can live a life of fasting so much and being fastidious with your diet so much that you forget that God has given you good gifts and food and drink to be enjoyed and to receive them with gratitude. There has to be a balance there. There were people in the early church that were running around being very unbalanced, And Paul addressed them actually in Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter number 4, and he talked about these people that were coming around, and they were pushing onto the church an extreme version of self-denial that took away God's good gifts. And here's what he says. He said, the Spirit speaks expressly that in the latter times, some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. He said, that sounds not good. You know, what are these... What are these spirits that are seducing people? What are these devilish doctrines? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Okay, what is it? What are they saying? Here's what they're saying. They're forbidding to marry. They're commanding to abstain from meats. Listen to this. Which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. For every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving. For it is sanctified by the word of God and by prayer. So what is happening is these people are running around and they're taking God's good gifts, the gift of marriage. Whoso finds a wife, finds a good thing. Uh, thing, singular, not things. You shouldn't have multiple wives, just to be clear. Uh, that's, a, that's a whole different uh, religion. You find a good thing. They're taking inside of the context of marriage, sexual expression and how it can be expressed in a very healthy, monogamous, good way, and that, that sexual activity is a good gift from God. And they're taking all of that and they're throwing it out and saying, look, what do you need to do? Like give into your physical impulses and you have these sexual desires. Like how how carnal is that? How fleshly is that? How, how wicked is that? You shouldn't need any of that at all. And they're trying to say that you're spiritual if you don't get married, you're spiritual. If there's no sexual activity, you're spiritual if you do that. And they're trying in an, in an effort to be in self-denial, they're throwing out God's good gifts. And Paul's not happy with that. Now, at the same time, Paul will say in 1 Corinthians 7 that you can limit God's good gifts... And in the context of marriage, you may choose to not have any sexual expression whatsoever for a period of time if you and your spouse agree on it and it is for a spiritual purpose. Like there can be a healthy self-denial that is there, but it's not meant to be thrown out altogether. And they're doing the same thing with diets and trying to make it as though you're more spiritual and somehow you'll just really get a handle on your flesh if you will completely eliminate or change your diet altogether, and he's saying, look, God gave good gifts, enjoy them. Receive them with thanksgiving. I'm not a vegan. I'm not a vegan for any moral reason whatsoever. I'm not a vegan because I like the way ham tastes. It's that simple. I want to eat steak. Is, is, is that wrong? Or you're, you're going to really give yourself some comfort with that, with that filet? It could be wrong if I should be fasting in in that particular moment, but no, receive it with joy. I am glad God gave us taste buds. You know, God could have made us to where there was some like port and we just kind of like, almost like a garbage disposal or something. We just threw some food in there and we got nutrition or something from it. But he didn't make us that way. He made us with taste buds that we could taste things. My wife's aunt, Uh, She she has passed, but we lived in the same city for a number of years, and she had the better part of a year where she had some physical difficulties, and she had a port, and they would put in a a medicine, maybe it's a medicine, maybe it's a, a supplement, I'm not sure, but it was called TPN, and it gave her the nutrition she needed to be able to survive, and she could not drink or eat anything for the better part of a year, and she talked about how hard that was not because her body was starving because she had this going in but just the emotional connection and the comfort that comes from a bowl of soup or a piece of bread or drinking a a cup of coffee that it was very difficult as you could imagine for her man those taste buds are God's good gifts he didn't just give us taste buds He, he gave food that was tasty I don't like the way everything tastes, but I'm glad that things taste different, and there's this whole portfolio of food that you can taste and you can eat, right? I don't like tasteless food. I've had a a bit here or there, but the most tasteless thing I've ever eaten in my life was in Vanuatu. Um, Myself and Brian Hazlett and my brother, we were over there with Seth and Nicole Stokes on on a mission trip, and they have... It's not a delicacy, it's just kind of like a staple of, of their diet and what they eat. It's called taro. It's this plant, and they take the root and cut it, and then they boil it, and then they mash it, and it kind of turns into mashed potato-ish, like, substance. It's kind of gray and bland like that, but it's, it's as tasteless as you could possibly imagine, like, more tasteless than rice or potatoes. It's just, it was so bland that it just wasn't fun to eat. I did eat it because we were there and it was like the tribe and the festival and all that stuff. I did eat it, but I didn't want to eat it. (laughs) On the other hand, I've had some meals that were amazing. Amazing that I am very grateful for. Someone asked me recently, they said, what's, what's the best meal you've ever had? I was like, that's a tough question. <laughs> you know, go back through life and figure out my best meal. But I think if I had to choose one, would be uh, my wife and I, we celebrated our, our 10-year anniversary, and we went to a, a really nice restaurant. And if you're a foodie or you know kind of that world, you know that there's Michelin stars and there's grades and those sorts of things. And this restaurant had one Michelin star. It's the only time I've ever eaten a place that had a Michelin star. Uh, and it was, it was worth it. It was It was fantastic. I don't know what I ate, really, because, I mean, the words were on the menu, but I don't know what that is. I don't know what that means. It was a whole nother language to me. It was like, waiter, I'll trust you. Uh, that, that kind of has crab kind of as the base. Okay, yeah, let's go with that. And it, it was a party in the mouth. I mean, it was just, it was wonderful. Should I eat and enjoy God's good gifts all the time and eat and eat and eat? Should I fast all the time and and try to uh, be closer to God through a practice of fasting? There's a balance to be had. We do need to fast. That is an important part of of our life. It can't even help with our relationship, our negative relationship to our body and food, but we also need to enjoy God's good gifts. And when you take self-discipline so far That now there's no joy and there's no fun and there's no laughter and there's no dancing and there's no meals with with friends to sit at, to have good food and good company and just to enjoy each other, you've gone too far. One of the best illustrations of this, perhaps, is from uh, the story of Eric Little. It's depicted in the movie that came out in the early 80s, Chariots of Fire. Raise of hands, how many have seen Chariots of Fire? Okay, a decent chunk of the room. You can go home and watch it today if if you want to. I'm sure you can stream it somewhere. But the movie depicts Eric and then um, uh, Harold, Harold Abrams, these two Olympians for Great Britain. And at the core of the movie is Eric's uh, decision-making process and him wrestling out what he was supposed to do. Eric felt that he was called to be a missionary in China. Eric had a younger sister named Ginny, and Ginny was really encouraging Eric to just go full bore. Eric was also very fast, and he had the opportunity to represent Great Britain in the Olympics. And there was this, this deep wrestling with do I go straight to China or do I go to the Olympics? you know, and and all that goes with that, the spiritual conjurings of, well, if I go to the Olympics, I mean, that could delay things a year. Who might I reach in a year? Who might be saved that now is not going to be saved because I didn't go? And all those sorts of things that go with it. And there's this moment in the movie, and it's a beautiful moment, where Eric gets Jenny and he tells her the decision that he's made. He says, Jenny, God's made me for a purpose. The purpose is China. I'm to be a missionary. He says, Jenny, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. And he had this tremendous, I think, balance. So I understand how God has made me and what my life trajectory is meant to be, and it's going to be immense sacrifice, leaving the homeland, leaving the comforts, going to another place. And, of course, Eric is imprisoned, and he dies in the 1940s in a prison camp in China. But he also understood a good gift that God had given him, and God made me fast, and when I run, I, I feel his pleasure. When the movie came out in the early 80s, Ginny, uh, his sister, was still alive, and they asked Ginny what she thought of the movie, and she had a, a glowing review, but she said there was one thing that bothered me. Is that Eric, every time he ran, he looked bizarre. He ran with his face up, his neck stretched and his face up, and his mouth wide open, just like a crazy person. He, he looked insane. But it was Eric's way of worshiping and understanding that God made me fast and I'm just going to like enjoy this. I think we have a, a picture of Eric running. They do show it one time in the movie. If you watch the movie, it's a really touching moment. But the majority of when he runs, they don't show it. They just show him running like a normal person. But it was his way of taking a good gift, the legs that God had given him and saying, I want to worship, and I want to do this to the honor and glory of God. I don't want to ignore this good gift. So should you live a life of self-denial? Yes, that's part of the Christian life, but not so much so that you are now this recluse or this monk in a monastery who can't eat anything tasty, who can't wear anything comfortable, who can't take a bath, who who can't whatever. There's a balance to be had where we live in denial, but we also enjoy God's good gifts. Second is the destination principle. Self-denial goes wrong when it becomes a destination and not a vehicle. The destination is always love for Jesus and love for others. If you're not careful... And I think this is really kind of at the core of what Paul was getting at in Colossians, that self-denial had become an end in and of itself instead of a means to a good, healthy, spiritual end. If you're not careful, you can be so fixated on whatever this thing is that you are denying yourself or living a life of self-control, that now you're just doing this for that reason and there is no greater purpose at the end of it. And I think that Paul really gets after this in 1 Corinthians 13, which is the love chapter. And Paul talks about how he could speak with the tongues of angels, but if he didn't have love, you know, that would amount to nothing. But he eventually gets to verse number three and he says, "So I bestow all of my goods to feed the poor. Okay, let's say that I limit myself of all income I divest myself of everything, I give it away for poor people so that they can eat and they can have uh, the medicine or the technology or whatever they need. I'm going to give everything that I have away. I'm going to take a vow of poverty. And one might say, well, that would be very spiritual of you. That would be very noble and very honoring of you. He says, though I give my body to be burned... I will, if you talk about neglect of the body in Colossians 2, I'll neglect my body so much that I will give it up. I will give my life. I will burn my body. I'll put it all on the line. I mean, you can't get any more self-denial than that. I can do all of that. But if I have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. If I do not have love, then, it, then it's useless. It doesn't matter. There's no profit there. You see where he's getting at? You can talk about all of the mysticism you want and tongues of angels all you want. You can talk about all the asceticism you want and limiting yourself in self-denial. But if this does not push you into a love relationship with Jesus and then in turn love for other people, if love is not at the center, if it's not driving you to love or even birthed out of love in the first place, then this is something that isn't going to amount. It's self-denial gone wrong. You're doing this in an improper way. But let us do it with love. And you have to ask yourself, if you are, if you are giving up sleep, that's a, that's a thing. There's such a thing as the watch, where you give up sleep to grow in your relationship with Jesus, or you fast so that you might grow closer to Jesus, or perhaps you decide that, hey, we are saving this, and there's this, this nest egg, or there's this portion of our income every month, but we want to give it away. All of those things are self-limiting. They can be good, they can be beautiful if they're done for the right reasons, if they are a vehicle to get you to a proper destination. It's very possible though that you can do those things and really hurt yourself. I'm not saying don't do them, I'm just saying do them properly. It's very possible, let's say that I struggle with uh, my relationship with food and I feel like I eat too much and not only do I eat too much, I also go to food for comfort all the time. I don't really go to the scriptures or the Psalms. I don't go to Jesus for comfort. When I'm down, I, I go immediately to food for comfort. And so I want, to, I want to have a better relationship than that with food. I want to go to Jesus for comfort. There's a possibility that in my, um, in my pulling out my knife and trying to stab my gluttony to death that I just become very prideful. And now look, look at how long I can fast. What's the longest fast you've ever done? Three days? <laughs> That's nothing. Try seven. Seven days? I did 21 one time. Try that. There's, there's, there's this possibility that I've killed gluttony, but I've raised up pride. And now I'm worse off than I started. You can do the same thing with any principle that would be of self-denial or limiting yourself, that you have to do it for the right reasons. It has to be birthed out of the right reasons, and it has to flow into the right reasons. Otherwise, you're just... You're just being frugal to be frugal. Someone who doesn't know Jesus can be frugal. They can limit themselves on what they spend. They can decide, you know what, we're going to eat out less. You know what, we're we're not going to do that. I'm going to stop swiping the credit card. And it may produce a positive end in that like they have less bills or they're less in debt or something like that. But there's no spiritual purpose to that. It needs to serve a higher purpose. It needs to be a means to an end, not an end in and of itself. And if you get to where it is an end in and of itself, I'm spiritual because I denied myself, you're not spiritual because you denied yourself. Maybe you have more self-control than somebody else, but whoop to do. Your spiritual, because of your relationship and your connection to Jesus, that is where real spiritual vitality comes from, and anything that is self-denial should push you into that relationship with Jesus. So be very careful that it is serving a love relationship with Jesus and not doing violence to your heart's love for Jesus. There's a way to do it that's right and a way to do it that's wrong. Lastly is the downstream principle. You need to enjoy God's gifts even if you deny yourself. You need to understand that that self-denial serves a purpose, but you also need to understand that self-denial can go wrong when you forget it's downstream from life in the Spirit. This, uh, I was having a conversation with one of our church members back in the fall. We were looking at the practices of Jesus, and we we talked about some practices of engagement where you would serve or you would give or uh, you would engage in these things also some practices where you would limit yourself, where perhaps you limit yourself financially and there's, there's more minimalism or frugality in your life, or perhaps there's fasting and those sorts of things. And We had a very good conversation, honest conversation, and, and he made a, what I felt was a very fair point. And it, I'm summarizing but, and paraphrasing, but I was like, well, where is this in relationship to you know, the Spirit of God? <laughs> I, and I said this phrase, and one word in the phrase just jumped out at me. I said, well, obviously, and maybe it wasn't that obvious because there were questions around it, and I probably should have done a better job portraying it, but, you know, this is downstream from life in the spirit, and that phrase downstream just, it jumped out at me, and it, it kind of nestled in my mind. I, when I was talking, I was sitting in my car outside of a restaurant. I was going to go in and get lunch and, uh, and have kind of a, a working lunch. I went in and immediately that phrase downstream, and downstream took me to river, and I, I began to jaw as I, I normally work on my computer, but if I'm in creative mode, I'm more like a, a freehand. So I, I took this little napkin right here, I saved it, and I began to draw a, a river and tributaries and the mouth of the river and all these sorts of things. And it's become, at least in my mind, this very apt and uh, and working analogy for me of what it means to grow in Jesus, what it means to have spiritual vitality in Jesus, because there are different components at play. And this actually will serve as kind of a a rubric from which I'll preach from over the course of this year of trying to lay out spiritual growth and formation. So um, I took my napkin and gave it to our graphics team, and they made it look pretty. And now it looks like this, Um, that if you have a river And what we'll start next week, actually, this series, uh, I'm calling it Flow of Change, Navigating the River of Spiritual Growth, uh, how you can, like, mature for the better in Jesus. The headwaters of the river are faith in Jesus. You cannot change spiritually or really permanently or or for the better without first faith in Jesus. It, it It has to start there. Uh, anything that that you want to do in the Christian life has to begin with that relationship of throwing yourself at at his mercy and saying, Jesus, I need you to be my Lord and my Savior and putting your faith in Jesus, what we would call salvation or redemption or regeneration, that moment where where someone becomes a Christian. Then you have kind of the main stem of the river, the main body That, too, is faith in Jesus, and a lot of people get thrown off kilter by this because they think, well, I put my faith in Jesus, now what do I do? And they forget that you have to to keep your faith in Jesus as you've received the Lord Jesus, so walk ye in him. And the whole book of Colossians really at its core is about that that you would, would continue uh, to live out of the gospel, out of this good news of Jesus and how he's transformed your life. But there are these tributaries is what I'm calling them that dump into the river, that begin to form the river and make things flow even in a greater way. Namely, there are four tributaries. One is the spirit of God. We will actually, when we get to this, we're going to take each of these categories, the, the headwaters and the main stem and the tributaries and even the mouth of the river, and we're going to spend some weeks talking about each of them. But tributary number one, uh, really you could find unfolded in, in Romans six, seven and eight, and we're going to do a survey of Romans 6, seven and eight that I'm super excited about, and you can start reading that before we get there, if you want to. But is life in the spirit? Then you have the word of God that needs to, to be there. You have the, the church then you have the practices of Jesus. And I I think basically in that order, you could mix them up a bit, but they basically have to be in that order that there is life in the Spirit, there is the Word, there is the church. You need all of these. If you're missing one of them, then you're going to be Malformed to some degree spiritually. All of them are meant to create this flow of change and that all empties out into the the grand destination is that you are with Jesus in relationship with him, that you are like Jesus and that you're joining Jesus on mission. Like that to me is how my brain kind of processes and, and formulizes what spiritual growth would look like in one picture or if there was kind of an analogy for it. All that to say, A, it's coming next week and we're gonna dive deeper into it. I'm super excited. But B... These ideas of self-denial, let's say I want to practice fasting, or I want to practice less sleep so that I can pray more, spend more time with God, they are downstream from life in the Spirit. We We are told that we should be temperate, right? But it is the fruit of the Spirit that produces temperance. We are told that we should mortify the deeds of the flesh, but we are told in Romans 8 that it must be, quote, through the Spirit that we mortify the deeds of the flesh. And if you miss that, then all you're going to have is your own willpower. And you and I both know that your own willpower is not going to get the job done. You may have more than me, and they may have more than you. They may be able to last longer, and they may be able to white-knuckle their behavior longer than you can, but eventually they're gonna get real tired. You can only twist your arm behind your own back for so long. And the idea is that there is actual resources available to you through the Spirit. Now I would love to preach a a whole sermon right now on that, but you're gonna have to wait a little bit. I'm teasing you, I know, but let me at least give you a primer in case you just like, well, help me. I I wanna get started. One, the Spirit's a person, not an it. You have to understand that. The Spirit of God is not a pair of scissors that you pick up and use at your discretion. It's not this thing that you, that you pick up and you set down. The Spirit of God is a, is a person. There's a relationship there. And he's not just a person, but he's actually a person that always talks about another person. I don't know if you have anyone like that in your life. That like every time I'm with you, all you do is talk about them. This happens a lot when someone first starts dating and they are... Uh, just enamored by him or her, and you're with them, but all you're doing is hearing about this new person that they're dating. Or sometimes this happens with grandchildren of like, I know that we got dinner, but I didn't learn anything about how your life is going. All I heard was about how your six-year-old grandson is doing in sports and is doing it in school and the new words he's learned or whatever. It's this person that's just constantly talking about another person. And the idea is that there's relationship with the Spirit of God, but as you have a relationship with that person, then he is always going to take both the Word of God and the person of Jesus and like need them into your life in a greater way. Now that's a, a really big summary and we'll get more in the weeds later, but you have to understand that if you're going to deny yourself and take up your cross, which you should, that it can't be to the exclusion of ignoring all of God's gifts. You have to understand that if you're going to mortify the deeds of the flesh, which you should, that it has to serve a purpose relationship with God and love for others. And you have to understand that if you're going to do that, you're going to need more than your own resources. If you're going to live the Christian life actually in proper balance while understanding where is self-denial needed and where is enjoyment needed. If you're going to, to go about this in a healthy way, then it's always downstream from life in the Spirit. I like the way that John Piper summarized it. He has a little article that you can read if you want and it's really helpful. And I think the title of the article was, Is There a Place for Asceticism in the Christian Life? And he summarizes uh, kind of his grand conclusion on that was, was two basic points. Was you do need to enjoy and you do need to deny. And what he says is you have to enjoy life that God has given you, but do it with gratitude in your heart for a grand gift giver. As you enjoy life, may that bring glory and honor to God and you be grateful to him. But you also have to deny yourself at times, both to to mortify the deeds of the flesh, and also at times to communicate to the gift giver that you the giver are more important than your gifts. I love your gifts and I love food, but my relationship with you far surpasses that so I'm going to set it aside for three days so I can take that time I would normally spend in food prep and I would normally spend cleaning up the dishes and I would normally spend eating and I'm just going to take that and I'm going to, I'm going to pray and I'm going to talk with you and commune with you. You get the idea? There's a space for both. There is a balance. The, the church of Colossians had an imbalance where it had moved them away from Jesus. And my goal as a pastor is just to simply communicate, may we not ignore the self-denial that has to happen. May we not ignore taking up our cross. May we not be an Eric Little who refuses to go to China. But may we also embrace all the life and all the joy and all the good that he has given. And do it in such a way where it's healthy and we can grow together.